Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, I am here with Trisha Campbell, author of Eight Was Enough. She's a mom of a very large family. I'm so excited to get to know her and hear her story. So welcome, Trisha. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited, but I want us to all be able to get to know you a little bit. Could you share a little bit about just your journey and your story and how you got to where you are today? Okay. I um, I grew up in New England mm-hmm. and uh, met my husband in college and ended up out in the Midwest um, raising our family. Um, my husband and I, when we first got engaged, I actually was working on a hunger project in Mexico. Mm. And I, I used to, um, we would go into the orphanages and the dumps and actually the jail too, in Tijuana and, um, and feed people. And I found myself in the orphanages down there, just like my heart was just pulled. And I, I would have like one child in each arm and I'd be rocking another one with my foot. And I was like, <laughs> I really just think I need to adopt someday. Like, cause these poor nuns, all they could do was start at one end and feed and clean and feed and clean and then start all over again. When they finished, mm-hmm. they didn't have time for tactile attention and mm-hmm. loving on them and you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, that was where that whole thing kind of initially got birthed. And mm-hmm. I, when my husband uh, asked me to marry him, I made him wait days before I answered him because I needed to take him down to Tijuana. So I got him down there and I kind of explained, like, I really feel like adoptions in my future somewhere. And I didn't feel like I could say yes or no, unless you saw what I was talking about mm-hmm. and were on board with that. And, and he was awesome. So, yeah. So that's how our story all started back when I was 21. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Did you have yeah. a big family growing up? Did you have a lot of siblings or no? Actually, we both came from uh, families with four kids. Okay. And if you actually added our two families together, you got exactly what we had because Dave's family had three boys and one girl and my family had two and two and we ended up having five boys and three girls. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of kind of a weird coincidence, but yeah. Oh my goodness. That yeah. that is so cool. So did you actually adopt anyone from Tijuana? Or that just worked? No, uh uh-uh. uh. We um actually when we started adoption I had had dreams of a black baby girl with one arm. And she oh, wow. was what started the whole process. And I had three dreams over the course of about six weeks. And the little girl in the dreams would age, but she always was our daughter. And she had the same name in the dreams. Mm. Her name was Danielle. 
And so I thought, and I thought, because our oldest biological child was Daniel, I thought it was to underline the fact that she was our child. Mm -hmm. But when we actually found Danielle later in life, when we actually found the exact baby from the dream, her, yeah, I know. It was really, it's kind of a wild story, but it's one of those stories that takes a while. But anyway, when we finally found exactly the baby from the dreams, um, we had decided that her middle name was going to be Danielle because we had Daniel and we thought that'd be super confusing. So we, we named her Alicia Danielle. And the day she was born, I found out her birth mom's middle name was Danielle. What is that? Just crazy? Does that give you goosebumps or what? Oh man, what a synchronicity there! Yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff happens in the book. A lot of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So that's that's how that whole journey started. And so when when I had had the third dream, we we talked to a pastor friend and he said, well, you just look at the dream. It's a transracial special needs adoption. She has one arm and she's a black little girl. So you you need to start praying in this direction. And at the time, it was very rare and unusual to have a, a child of color come into a white family. So um, I was like, well, okay, here we go. I'm not sure how this works. But, and I also couldn't tell was Danielle from here? Was she from the Caribbean? Was she from Africa? Was she from South America? I don't know. I, I, I really did not know uh, because she was our daughter in the dreams from the time she was very little. There wasn't like she would have some accent or something. She didn't. So I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, yeah, it took a lot of, of uh, prayer and, intentionality to get there, but we got there. So, yeah. So our second adoption actually was the baby, Danielle. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now, how old was she when you adopted her? Six days. Six days. Yeah. Six days. Oh right? my goodness. Yeah. Wow. She wasn't our youngest one. We had, we got another adoption at four days at one point. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But at one point we started to foster and adopt and that's why we could get a baby that young. Um, Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. What was that experience like when you actually saw her and held her for the first time? It was, it was kind of surreal actually. It was like, it's like everyone else like faded out of the room and like, it was like, oh my gosh, there she is. Like, that's her. I couldn't believe it. And the funny thing was too, the, um, there was a, a a whole nother thing happened in um, that gave the indication that that she would be one of those kids that always had one sock on, one sock off, <laughs> and she was she was just like that. Same thing with the shoe; she would always have one and one off, and one on, one off, and I, this it happened in real life. And I was like, that is so wild that those things just you know what I mean, like those those things just came right forward. And, and, uh, I would literally have people come up to me in the grocery store with her shoe. Like, I'm sorry, is this yours? Yes, of course it's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, yeah, it's really, really neat. But anyway, like I said, the store, the, the book is full of those kind of just wild, miraculous things were happening. And, um, yeah, so pretty neat. Awesome. That is so cool. Well, yeah, well, I would love just to hear more about your adoption journey and just everything that has come with it, what you 
weren't expecting <laughs> and yeah. all yeah. all of that good stuff. So yeah. I'm excited. Well, um, our adoption journey, we started, we, we got a little boy. Uh, he was uh, black, white, and Native American uh, mm-hmm. from uh, teenage parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, the agency we worked with felt that our family was the best for him because he was 10 months old. And because we had already had three children that we already kind of knew where he was coming from developmentally, like mm-hmm. what, like if somebody's never had a baby, what does a 10 month old do? Mm. What does an 11 month old do? What does a one year old do? Like they don't, they don't know if they're on target or not because they'd never been there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, they felt that cause we had had three kids prior to that, that, um, that we would have a sense of what, was appropriate developmentally and that we would know if he needed any kind of therapies or any kind of interventions um, because he, he came from a pretty rough background and the teenagers lived in very rough house households. Mm -hmm. And um, so we couldn't know Um, other than we knew a lot of the, the biological grandparents were self-medicating for something and um, so we could only assume these things come down the line. So if three out of four are self-medicating, something's going to go on, right? So you have to be ready to watch for those things and stuff. The other thing is with, with adoption is that um, when a child is exposed to something in utero, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just a trauma, it's actually something that they're going to they're going to carry forward. So like let's say you're exposed to violence in utero that impacts a child, right? So it doesn't matter if I got a baby at 4 days old or 4 years old. They all went through some trauma relative mm-hmm. to adoption. Mm-hmm. So people that think, "Oh, you got a 4-day-old, well, pff, clean slate." right? Clean slate. You're going to just, this baby's going to be whatever you uh, put into him. Well, no, I I always tell people, I believe that books, uh, that children are books to be read, not to be written. And so if you're saying it's a clean slate, you're saying, I'm going to write that book. I'm saying, no, I'm saying there's a book already there and I need to figure out how to parent him best or her best. Mm -hmm. So um, so some of our kids were exposed to drugs in utero. Clearly that's going to come forward in some manner, right? Mm-hmm. Some of our kids had venereal disease when they were born. Mm. So those things come forward and impact them. Um, so that, that's, that's clear and obvious, right? That's trauma, mm-hmm. physical trauma, uh, to their little bodies, but, but then also emotional things and babies hear when they're in the womb, they can hear. Yep. And, um, and, and if the mom is under stress constantly, they're getting adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So that all these things are, are various traumas that a, that a child can go through prior to coming to your household. So you have to think like that. You have to try to, um, be objective and watch them from the outside a little bit. So some of our kids, like one of our, our kids was just shy of three when we got him. And I had to be very alert and very, um, 
what would you call that? Almost um, analytical, I guess would be the word. Almost like analytical about how I watched him in life in the earliest, very, very earliest parts of having him in our household. I was trying to kind of figure him out. And um, we, when we got him, there was a big red ink mark at the top of his folder that said MR, which at the time is totally inappropriate now, but it, it meant mentally retarded. Mm. And now they, they use the term developmentally delayed, but um, this big MR was looming at the top of the thing. And my husband and I both felt like, you know, there's something up with this little guy, but that's not it. Mm. And so I read lots of books I I just kept watching and trying to figure him out and all while while at the same time being the mother of many other children. Mm. But um yeah, he ended up it, he was not MR. He ended up he had autism mm-hmm. and he was legally blind. Mm. That'll impair some things, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Your perception of reality is going to be a little twisted if they haven't got the right glasses on you yet. Right. So yeah, so so you know, coming forward, it was a whole different ball of wax. Once we got him out of the classroom that they had him in, they had him in a class that was all kids that were MR or designated MR. And, and this child was not, but that's all he was surrounded by. Mm. And so like, as at at the time I was actually his foster mom, I, you don't have a lot of rights as foster mom. Mm -hmm. I had to really get on his social worker to get him out of that class. Mm, mm. I was like, this little guy needs some appropriate role models. Can we please get him out of that class? You know? And it wasn't until I actually got a doctor that did her own assessment and said, no, it's not this, it's that, that I could get him out of that classroom. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. So trauma is real. (laughs) Trauma is one of those things that, excuse me, you have to, uh, it's going to be different levels and different times and, and like different, uh, parts of their life that m- things might trigger back to earlier. Mm-hmm. And you have to start to look for those and, and figure out what your kids triggers are and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a traumatic thing, but at the same time, it's also a blessing because so a lot of those kids that were, a like I considered abuse in utero if you're taking drugs and doing all this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're out of that situation. So like one of our kids couldn't even sit at age one and a half because they'd been neglected so badly, Mm. right? So, I mean, that's, that's not just neglect. It's abusive. It's, it's, you know what I mean? So you have to uh you have to be ready to 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 look at those things and deal with those things so mm-hmm. yeah but anyway yeah but but it i mean it was a blessing at the same time right so we go on and we and we built this family and we had kids that had different issues or whatever but we would get them whatever kind of helps they needed, whatever, whether it was physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, sensory integration, whatever. Uh, but we would get them the helps that they needed. And then, um, we would, um, we would also just be mom and dad, right? Just Mm -hmm. be family. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how has their relationship, how old are they now? So when we, when we finally arrived at the number eight, they were zero to 14. Okay. I drove a 15 passenger bus for many years. I can still back up on a dime because I'm very good at using mirrors. <laughs> um, but now they are 22 to 36. Wow. Yeah. And we have 12 grandchildren. Ooh. I know. So that marches on too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, how has it been from their perspective of being adopted into a, a a new family, maybe a family that they don't look like the same mm-hmm. as, as how they look. How's it been for them? Well, honestly, the way it went with our family, like first off, I would say our biological kids, that was how life was. When we started, our oldest was seven. This is this is their normal. So it's not like they in some way felt like, you know, these kids were were different or whatever. They, we always taught them that, you know, God has a way of getting you to your forever family. Some people mm-hmm. are born in it. Other people are brought in from another way. So it doesn't matter. Like we are family, right? Not, right. not like, it's not, this, a, this, is, this is my correct. foster son or whatever. You don't, right. you know what I mean? This is sure. my son. Yeah. Um, and so, and they all thought like that because it started from very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relative to not looking like us, five of our children were children of color. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they woke up to all white faces and like, oh, why am I different? You know, it wasn't that mm-hmm. way for them because mm-hmm. we had a lot of different shades in our house. And we always told them, you know, you had nothing to do with your race. I didn't either. So it's really kind of one of the least important things about me, mm-hmm. right? Like you had nothing to do with it. What, what matters is your character and what's going on on the inside. That's the important part of who you are. And so we, we handled it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, not, that it, not that your race isn't part of you. It is part of you. It's just that it's not the most important part of you. Correct. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, and then, um, you know, we always, I, I mean, we always said that, that, that parenting is the hardest job you'll ever love, but it's because there's so there, they need you for everything. Mm-hmm. Like think about like at one point when we had five kids, they were like seven and under you know? <laughs> and we had five kids. That was probably the hardest time for me actually. And they need you for absolutely everything, mm-hmm. you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, social, whatever, all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, life moves on and it's so rewarding in all those areas as well. Well, not financial. <laughs> that one is always a drain. Um, but, but all the other things, you know, all that other stuff is, is it just, it it causes growth in everybody, you know, like, so, so would my oldest son have ever learned to enjoy, uh, Broadway show tunes (laughs) because his sister was into musicals and performing that way? And would she have ever seen a hockey game had she not had these brothers? Probably not, you know, like, like it, 
it enriches everybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people would be like, oh my gosh, you had five boys? Wasn't that nuts? And I was like, well, we had three girls too. So it kind of had a softening effect. And they're like, three girls too? And I'm like, no, 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 it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. So yeah, it, it's kind of funny that way, but yeah. Oh so, man. Yeah. Wow. And and that was so interesting as far as, you know, the fact that, you know, we experience a lot before we even get here, you know. Right. So um I know it's kind of like you're able to as the adult have that ability to see that and mm-hmm. be able to have the compassion towards it. How are they? Did they feel like were they able to see all of the work that you were putting in and and feeling the support no, from I, No, kids kids don't I know they like can. That. But as they got yeah. older, were they able to look back and just to just to have that awareness as they got older or is it like I think some oh, of them I think some of them have I think others have not and maybe mm-hmm. that's just at their level of uh maturity or immaturity sure um that that maybe they'll arrive at that point someday maybe they mm-hmm. won't um but we didn't do it for any reasons to get anything back anyway yeah so if your expectations are dead low you're not going to get disappointed mm-hmm. um <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't have real lofty expectations of some sort of, um, credit or, or to have them somehow thankful or something. I don't, I have, Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if they ever come back with that, that's wonderful, but that it's no, there's no expectation there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so important to not set those expectations because then it just sets us up for disappointment um, because we're constantly looking for it and you know, whatever the case may be. I was just curious just because it's, it just, it just seems like, you know, you've given so much coming from a place of, you know, whatever the, the love that you truly felt for them that Mm -hmm. you wanted to, you know, take on, everything that they've been through. Um, I was just interested because it's just interesting. But yeah, um, I think too, um, some kids when they, they come out of trauma mm -hmm. initially, Mm -hmm. I think they kind of can get stuck in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of them went on to try to find birth parents, which is great. And I always supportive of that, Mm -hmm. but they, they, don't find the fairy tale picture that they tell themselves, mm-hmm. which then is another traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And so they keep on going forward without ever looking back and seeing the blessings, right? Mm-hmm. They don't see the blessings. They just like, they're, they're searching for something and they, and they can't find it. And they're, and like for instance, I'll tell you one of our one of our sons found his birth mom. The first thing she wanted to know is if she was prettier than the mom that raised him. Oh, I know, right? 
I said, are you serious? I'm so sorry, honey. And they're like, I don't even know what that means. And I said, I said, you know what it means, honey? It means she's emotionally arrested is what it means. It means she's like a 13 year old kid in a 45 year old body. That's what it means Mm -hmm. that she's, she just, she's still thinking from like that. Yeah. Like somebody in middle school, not even high school. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I just felt so badly for him. And yeah, and then and then she went on to have other biological kids that she didn't relinquish. Mm-hmm. And and so like if she would throw a party for one of his brothers, but not for him, or you know what I mean? Like that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. All this all this stuff is just mm-hmm. it just hurts. Right. Yeah. And he's not looking back there going, mom, thanks for all those parties you threw me. Thanks for taking me on those great vacations. Thanks for taking me to therapy so that I could get my speech impediment fixed or whatever. He's not looking back going, thanks for this. Thanks for that. He's going, he's he's just looking forward going, well, what about me? And, um, and I get that. I do. So I don't have expectations Mm -hmm. of him to look back and say, thank you. I don't. Mm-hmm. Or or look back and say, "Wow, I had a blessed upbringing." Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think that way. Yeah, yeah. So. It takes time, and yeah. that is um, re. You know, we can re-traumatize ourselves. You know, at at times when we're not able to shift from mm-hmm. the perspective we're looking at it in, mm-hmm. um, and we're only going to keep getting more of the evidence of where we're focused on. So, um, yeah, well, we tried to get him like talk therapy when he was a teenager, because we could tell his perception of reality was getting a little twisty. And, uh, I, I would go and I would drive him there a half hour from the house. I'd drive him there. I'd sit in the waiting room for an hour while he was in there, drive him home. So this was like two hours a week that I was doing this. Right. And I would Mm -hmm. get in there and go home. And, and finally the guy had me into one session and I realized as we talked that, that we were dealing a hundred percent with lies, everything that they had been talking through all these times Mm. were made up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, so frustrated. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, well, that didn't really happen, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. It just, it, it was, it was frustrating. So, so I mean, yes, as young adults, they can move on if they want to move on with reality, but if they're going to try to tell themselves some fairy tale story or some fairy tale reason why whatever happened or didn't happen, um, you got to move on with the truth. I don't see how you can move on otherwise if you're dealing with the made up stuff. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so and, it's it's rough. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know, um, getting to the the real truth um, because sometimes it's like. I think people misconstrue reality in this standpoint where they're like, mm-hmm. well, the truth is that they didn't want me. They didn't want this. They didn't want that. And, yeah. and it's like they tie the negative emotions, which 
that can mm-hmm. also be a lie just because it it is also it feels like well if it's negative then it's real it's not the case you know so right um we, we can attach like well i'm not worthy i'm not good enough i'm not this and that that's also a lie amen know? and you know yeah. what that is the number one thing if you want to be a resilient person, if you want to be able to bounce back in life when stuff happens to you, mm-hmm. you better not be living on a lie. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, you you have to, as as an adult, root out what the lies are that you believe. Yeah. I mean, we all believe certain lies. Oh, yeah. And so if you're functioning on those and your thought life is caught up in those Mm-hmm. You won't be resilient. You won't be able to bounce back because you'll have everything that happens to you will be proof that blah, blah, blah. And it's all like victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And you can't you can't have victory in your life when you're coming out of that mode. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I always, you know, when I'm talking about relative to being able to be resilient as a parent, mm-hmm. I always tell people, number one, take care of yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. You got to take care of yourself because you can't pour from an empty pitcher. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be okay yourself. And then number two, take care of your marriage. Always take care of your marriage. You've got to be a team. If you're coming at it, like you're in a competition, it's going to be a problem. Yep. You got to be a team. And, um, I was, a. I was a, a basketball coach for decades and my husband was a hockey coach. And so oh, we always nice. kind of, yeah. So, so the two of us would think of it like, all right, we're, we're not in man to man anymore. We're in zone defense. Man to man is man to man is long gone. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, you know, we gotta, we gotta think of it like this. So, but we were always in it together and we always had date night. You know, we, every single Tuesday was date night and the kids knew it. Everyone knew it. Tuesday night was day night. And sometimes it would get hijacked, but we tried to never let it get hijacked more than two times in a row. So we kept our date night as much as we could. Because frankly, there would be weeks go by and I would go, did I finish a sentence with Dave this week? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, "Ah, did I ever finish that thought? I was about to say this and I got interrupted, of course. And um, so, yeah, so we always had date night. And then, and then, Number three, I would say, take care of yourself, take care of your, your marriage and, and protect your thought life. Mm. You know, you gotta, you gotta believe the truth and the truth about yourself and your value, the truth about your marriage, the truth about children. I mean, like think of how many people think children, teenagers have to rebel. No, Mm. they don't. Right. If you believe that you're going to walk it. Yep. But if you, I mean, but, but that's just one of those lies that so many people believe that they almost make it happen. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, and, or if you believe lie, lies like I shouldn't ever have to suffer or I can't do this because of that, or, you know I mean? Things about life that, that you have stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. You're right. You probably can't do that because you're handling things from that mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and and let's face it, it's not if suffering comes, it's when. Mm-hmm. Life's hard. Stuff happens. And you're either going to respond to it or you're going to overreact to it. And reaction is never good. I always would tell the kids, I said, you don't want to be a reactor. 
You want to be a responder. And when, when you react, you're reacting out of your flesh, man. You're just kind of going, wow, and you're going off the, the cuff. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a responder, you're responding out of your, out of your soul, your, your mind, your will, your emotions, all those things. You've got those queued up. You've thought this through, and you're responding mm-hmm. versus reacting to life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you're going to be successful if you're a responder instead of a reactor. Reactors a lot of times end up pushing friends away, pushing spouses away, mm-hmm. pushing their children away. If you're a reactor, yes. it's, it, it can get pretty rough on the people in your life. So anyway, we always taught the kids to be responders as much as possible. I mean, we all have emotions, but, you know, responding is better. So... But those were the ways we, you know, we always tried to be ready for those things that come. And, um, and I'm not saying it was easy. It was not. Um, we had some pretty difficult things that we had to, to get through. Um, and they're all there and they're all innate was enough. They're, 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 there's lots of really story. The other thing that's in it was enough, which, which I did intentionally, I, I interspersed some of the, the harder stuff with things I called amusing anecdotes because kids do the funniest things. Mm-hmm. And there were so, so many funny little stories from when the kids were growing up. And so whenever we'd have like some really tense part of the book, I would pop in an amusing anecdote just to keep the reader from going, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. how on earth did they get by? And, um, you know, just, yeah. So it, it was... Yeah, there's a, there's enough of those times that it makes it fun, you know. Oh, but um, awesome. yeah, it's all uh, good. Yeah, I love how you um, work to create that balance as well of making sure that you're taken care of and mm-hmm. um, focusing on your marriage. Because I think the part that uh, maybe a lot of parents forget is it's like, well, you got to focus all on the child and this and that, and which is it's yeah. yes, it's important. However they are still learning from you. So they're learning how to have relationships with people based on how you're having your relationship. So, you know, that's going to play a role. And then how you care for yourself, they're learning how to care for themselves watching you too. So um, all of it has to be in balance. I can only imagine that that is, uh, you know, it's a joke. It can be a juggling act, but I think making sure that that is put in place is is unique. So. so, I mean, the goal of parenting is to create stable adults that can be an mm-hmm. asset to society, right? Right. So if you're trying to, you don't, the child should not be the most important person in the family. Mm-hmm. Your your marriage should be, you, they, and they can, they, they get so much um, confidence and security from seeing the strong leadership at the top of the family that it, it trickles down. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I mean, it, it, children, I, I, I mean, obviously I believe children are very important, but they are not the most important person in the family. You just can't, if, if you go that way, you your tendency is going to be to go, um, more permissive 
and and they're going to start to it's going to be the 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 tail's going to start to wag the dog right you're mm-hmm. going to have the the child is dictating what's for dinner the child is dictating where we're going to go and grow on on vacation no that's not happening mm-hmm. right when dave used to always say you know i i care what you guys think but our family is a benign dictatorship di- dictatorship I'm in charge. That's all there is to it. So I would love to know what your thoughts are. I want, I will consider all these things, but when it comes down to it, I will be making the decision. Mm-hmm. And they knew that they, and they knew that he, he made decisions out of love for his family and, um, and what was best for everyone. So mm-hmm. um, that was, that was our approach. I mean, that didn't um, too many I think too often in our society, the kids become the most important person in the family. And it, and it's, it's, it's bringing about some kind of rotten fruit right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I can tend to kind of give them the responsibility that they're not ready for because their brain mm-hmm. is not even fully developed until you're 26 anyway. Right. So they don't really have, you know, that it's not really fair to them to give them so much responsibility when they don't or power this. Yeah. They don't right? have the ability to get to control uh, and manage their thoughts the way an adult can. You Correct. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really important thing to talk to about teenagers and explain to them how the brain develops during teenage years and explain how hormones rage during teenage years, because mm-hmm. those kinds of things, they have to, if they understand what's going on, they, instead of like losing it, they can go, you know what, I need to have some time in my room or take some deep breaths or do whatever, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and to understand why maybe I need to ask my parents before I do this, this, and this, before I make this decision, instead of just, you know, going for it when, when your brain is, like you said, not fully developed yet. Yeah, you're not seeing things quite as clearly as you think you are. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So. I know it feels so real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but also having that balance of letting them make some of their own decisions so they can understand the consequences of their actions and so to speak. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, um, yeah. I always say that that you want to um, let your kids take the credit and the blame for their actions in equal measure. Yeah. So if you don't take the the credit for what they do well, you shouldn't be taking the blame for what they do wrong. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just the the but but so many parents do like it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. Well, no, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing is like we always uh, relative to teens anyway, like the way we approached our parenting style, um, like with preschoolers, it was all training. Like mm-hmm. you're training them to how to, to sit in a group. You're training them how to sit still. You're training them how to listen. You're training them how to uh, pitch in as a family member. You're training them for all kinds of things, right? You're trying, you're trying to set up a, a foundation in life and you're, you're training them to go to the potty correctly. You're training them all these things. But then once they get to school age, now you're starting to really teach them stuff, right? So you mm-hmm. can teach them different things around the house, like teach them about how you, 
bake a cake or if you're going to teach them how to change a flat or you're going to teach them how to whatever you're going to teach them there's a lot of teaching goes on more school age when they become teens Dave and I had a tendency to turn it more like coaching because mm. if if you if you act like you're teaching them something that sometimes they kind of get a little bristly about that and mm-hmm. if you if you're more coaching it's like you 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 do a little more diffidence like you don't say specifically you should do this you go mm-hmm. you remember that teaching we were listening to and they were talking about such and so do you remember what that guy said i forgot there's something about and then you and you go on with whatever it is they're going through and 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 you just you have you have a really good memory so let me how how did that go again and let them try to pull it up right mm-hmm. so you you you're trying to get them to think to, for themselves and you're yeah. sort of trying to coach them instead of directly you know giving directions yes right cuz they'll, Cause they'll they, they bristle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> they go the opposite. <laughs> so, so yeah. So that, that would be my, my thing. I would say as a, a big, huge overarching thing, I would say train preschoolers, teach school age kids and coach teens. Love it. Yeah. I love it. I love the approach. Wow. Oh yeah. man, Trisha, I love this conversation. It was really eye opening, and Thank it was just you. such a wonderful chat. Um, how can anyone get in touch with you or find your book or anything? Um, well, I have a website. It's trishakcampbell.com, and you can buy the book there. But you can also go right on Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble and, and get it there. Um, but it's eight was enough, not eight is enough. You'll get the TV show. <laughs> and, um, and you can also reach me through the website. Um, you just, it's Trisha at Trisha If you want to uh, directly message me. So. Awesome. Thanks Very for having cool. me. Absolutely. It's a it pleasure. It's fun. Yes. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to leave us with today? No, it sounds great. I mean, I just had a great time and and um, enjoyed talking to you. And uh, yeah, just um, you know, just just remember that parenting is the hardest job you're ever going to love, and um, it's got so many uh, wonderful, fulfilling things about it. But it is hard, but it's mm-hmm. but it's great. So, awesome. yeah. Oh wow. Thank you so much, Trisha. I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.